Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hey, it's me again, Michaela, and I'm back with another chapter summary from the book Women Who Run With the Wolves. Today, I'm going to be talking about chapter 10, Clear Water, Nourishing the Creative Life. And I'm feeling super fired up about this chapter. I literally just finished it in the sauna, which is why my face is probably kind of red. But I just had to jump in here and start talking about it right away because I've been having so many big ahas around it. It's, it's a very dense chapter. It has three stories actually in it. So normally there's only one kind of main story and then there's an analysis of that story. But this chapter felt like three chapters in one because she went through three really important stories. Um, they're pretty short stories, so I think that's why she put them all together, but they all kind of revolve around the, the topic of creativity. And this is a really big topic for me right now because I'm really trying to jumpstart a lot of creative projects. So reading this chapter was just the most perfect timing. And I'm realizing looking back at all the chapters, <laughs> how interesting it is that they kind of show up just in the right time, or at least my interpretation of them at that time seemed super fitting and super helpful. And this one especially was helpful for me right now, just knowing that I'm dealing with a lot of creativity and creative blocks and trying to get things off the ground. And this chapter really helps give a roadmap for how to deal with when you have creative blocks or when you don't really have a creative flow. And I do remember times when I wasn't even connected to that creative energy. And lately I've been feeling a lot more filled with that creative energy, but really it's just a matter of being able to channel it and follow through and finishing projects and those kind of things. And I talked a little bit about that in the last video, but I'm excited to dive into this one. She starts the chapter talking about creativity. What is creativity? And I know I've had this conversation with a lot of people, but it's one of those things that's really hard to define. Like when I think of creativity, my first thought might be painting or singing or something like those traditional things you think of as art, you know, is creativity. But then when you think about the root of the word to create, it could really be anything like taking some kind of raw material and turning it into something else is sort of creativity. And she talks about how it's sort of a shapeshifter and it's hard to pin down and you probably can't find two people that agree on the definition of creativity. One of the analogies she uses, which I really love, is that of a river. She talks about kind of an underground river, but in general, just the idea of a river being creativity and its flow. 
She says, the creative force flows over the terrain of our psyches, looking for the natural hollows, the channels that exist in us. We become its tributaries, its basins. We are its pools, ponds, streams, and sanctuaries. The wild creative force flows into whatever beds we have for it, those we are born with, as well as those we dig with our own hands. We don't have to fill them. We only have to build them. And I just love this analogy for creativity because it really does feel like when I'm being creative that I'm sort of tapping into this river that's constantly flowing whether or not I'm tapped into it. And all you really need to do is go to that place or create that space or just simply have the intention to create something in whatever medium that you like. She assures us that the only ways we can avoid its incessant energy are to continuously mount barriers against it, or to allow it to be poisoned by destructive negativity and negligence. So negativity and negligence are really big parts of this. Um, Also creating blocks. So the same way you think of a river, you can think of a dam on a river, or you can think of a polluted river. And that brings us to the story. It's called La Lorana. And she tells a couple different versions of the story, but the basic gist is there's a really beautiful woman who gets courted by a wealthy nobleman. And this nobleman wins her over and they end up having two sons. Now, in one of the versions of the story, he just decides to leave. And in her grief, the beautiful woman throws the two sons into the river. And when she goes up to heaven, she is told she's not allowed into heaven until she finds the souls of her two sons. So she goes back to the river and is combing the bottom of the river, looking for the souls of her two sons. The other version of the story she tells is a little different. The nobleman, the rich man that courts the beautiful young woman, he owns a factory on a river and this factory is poisoning the river. And a really bad thing happens and the woman, while she's pregnant, she drinks from the poisoned river and her sons are born deformed. And in her grief, she throws them in the river and then she throws herself in the river. And the same thing happens. She has to go combing through this polluted river looking for her lost sons. In both versions of the story, there's a beautiful young woman, there are sons, there is a wealthy nobleman, and there's a river. And in the polluted one especially, you can really see the analogy between the creative flow and the challenges that can face it. This tale uses the metaphors of the beautiful woman and the pure river of life to describe a woman's creative process in its normative state. But here, When interacted with a destructive animus, both the woman and the river decline. Then a woman whose creative life is dwindling experiences a sensation of poisoning, deformation, a desire to kill off everything. Subsequently, she is driven to seemingly endless searching through the wreckage for her former creative potential. And as you can tell, this story has dire consequences and it's one of those kind of heart-wrenching stories like, oh, the children die and the woman dies and she has to go back and search for their souls. So it's a really depressing story that kind of serves as a warning, I think, to our psyches. And something she spends a lot of time talking about is kind of that discernment between a natural kind of lull or a slow time in your creative life, which is really normal and natural and healthy, Um, versus a poisoning, a poisoning of the creative life, a complete block, some kind of psychological construct that is kind of keeping us away from fulfilling our creative desires. And a framework that she uses for the creative process is these five words. 
inspiration, concentration, organization, implementation, and sustenance. So these are sort of the five phases of creation that she introduces. And this pollution of the river, so to speak, can happen in any of these phases. And she goes through each of those phases and talks about different examples of ways that those can be blocked or polluted by some kind of psychological construct. They can be something from the external or from the internal. It could be an inner self-critic. It could be outer self-critics. It can even be things like getting distracted or being disorganized or just not prioritizing your creative life is enough to pollute it. She really lays into the reader here. And if you're ready to be called out, I would definitely read this chapter. She talks a lot about all the different little conniving ways our psyche can sabotage our creative process um, with excuses and distractions and even things like house cleaning. You know, house cleaning is one of those things that we all know it literally will never end. So there's always this kind of oh, I'll get to it when I'm done with this or when I'm done with that or when the sun is out or when I'm done with this other thing. It's the idea that always putting something off doesn't mean it's ever going to happen. You kind of have to make it happen. A quote I really liked was, art is not meant to be created in stolen moments only. Another important aspect of this story and of the poisoning of the creative life is the man, the, the noble man. The author talks about this concept of an animus and how the animus can show up as a healthy or unhealthy version. Animus can best be understood as a force that assists women in acting in their own behalf in the outer world. Animus helps a woman put forth her specific and feminine inner thoughts and feelings in concrete ways. Another way to understand this is to think of the wild woman, the soul self, as the artist and the animus as the arm of the artist. And this is the part of the story that was really speaking to me because I was thinking a lot about that kind of internal dialogue that I have between this part of me that really wants to kind of force me to do things or give me structures like you have to wake up at this time and set an alarm and you're going to be working from this time to this time. And, and then when I don't do it, then I feel all this shame and inner critique. And that when I was younger, I feel like my inner masculine or this animus character was really strong. It's what helped me get straight A's in school and get through all of my work days and do what I needed to do, really do what was expected of me, but also do what I promised to do and what I signed up for. And in some ways, over the last couple of years, it feels like I've been really strengthening my connection to the wild woman and to my inner feminine and to my creativity. And in that process, I've really demoted this animus character that used to make me do a lot of things. And in some ways, I think that animus character, as she's described in the story, was sort of a toxic kind of polluting force in my creative life, not really giving me that time and not really supporting the feminine aspects of me. And so now that I've reclaimed the feminine aspects of me, I'm really trying to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with this animus character in my psyche. So luckily she gives pretty clear instructions on how to take back the river. So what we're gonna try and do is take away the blocks, take away the pollution and clean the river. And the first thing she mentions is receiving nurturance. And what that really means is the building of confidence and specifically taking compliments. So thinking about all the times you've gotten positive feedback and really focusing on those times instead of always focusing on the critique. The other words she uses for how to take back the river are respond, be wild, begin, that one's pretty self-explanatory, protect your time, stay with it, 
protect your creative life and craft your real work. And all the detailed instructions for each of those are in this chapter. And I highly recommend reading through it if any of those spoke to you. If we are successful in cleaning the river, she says, we can live our lives as we wish and as we see fit there beside the river, holding our many babies in our arms, showing them their reflections in the clear, clear water. So as you can see, this chapter has a lot in it because we're not even to the second story. So I will tell that story really quick and talk about the meaning of that. That story is called The Little Match Girl. And it's also a really sad and kind of gruesome story. So there's a poor girl who lives in a really cold place. And in order to have sustenance, she has matches and she goes around door to door begging for people to buy a match for a penny. One night she sits down in the snow and decides she can just use the matches to keep her warm. So she lights a match and in the match, she sees all sorts of fantasies of a better life. Uh, a table full of food, a Christmas tree, a grandmother. And as she lights these matches and sees these fantasies, each of those matches goes out and she gets colder and colder until she finally dies. And that story is really sad, but it gives us a big warning on what to do with fantasies. Just like she talked about in the first story, there's a tendency for us to make believe future ideas of what we're gonna accomplish and not actually take the steps needed to make those things happen. So even though I believe envisioning a better future for yourself is a positive thing to do, sometimes if you just get lost in that vision and aren't grounded in the now and making steps towards that vision, then that vision and that fantasy can be a poison in itself. She makes a big point in the description of this story to talk about the need for community, the need for friends and people in our lives. She calls them our sons for warmth. And those people are the ones that are always our biggest fan, always encouraging us, always giving us compliments and checking in on our creative projects. And I already have a few in mind that I have in my life. Luckily, but those are some really important aspects of having a vibrant creative life is having community and having people who know what you're working on and who are supporting you all the way through. That can look like people that you work with, maybe customers or clients. It could look like family members. It could look like coaches. I know that anytime I've had a coach, it's been a really helpful experience to just have someone rooting for me and have someone whose main goal is just to focus on making sure I get my projects done. And as a coach, I've been working on this with some of my clients and it's so helpful and so amazing to see how much further they get with that help. Another really important and kind of sad aspect of this story is that those matches can represent the beginning spark of a grand idea, the seed to a creative project. And in some ways she's wasting them by selling them for a penny and by using them for these fantasies. So using your little bit of energy left to just fantasize or to sell yourself short. Those are ways to run out of matches and to run out of ideas and to lose your connection to that creative energy. Okay, so now that we have the poisoned, polluted river that has been unpolluted, and we know that we need to keep people around to help us stay warm, now that we've rekindled our creative fire, what do we do when we lose focus, which is inevitable? And this is where that discernment comes in. What is the difference between just simply losing focus and needing to step back and get perspective and being poisoned or being polluted or having a destructive animus or being so caught up in some kind of psychological construct that you're immovable? 
And again, if you're in the latter, go back and read the beginning part of the chapter. But if you feel like you're just in a lull or you've just lost focus, it's important not to go crazy trying to scramble that up again. And the last story she tells is The Three Golden Hairs. And it's a pretty basic story. There's an old man who's very weak, who's walking through the forest and is on his last leg. And he sees a little light in the forest. So he's crawling to this light and he finally gets there. And an old motherly woman gathers him up and rocks him through the night. And as she rocks him, he becomes younger and younger until finally he's just a little child with golden hair. And at the very end of the story, she takes three golden hairs from his head and she throws them on the ground and they make a little sound and off he goes, he's good as new. So that story is really representative of that time that we need to take away sometimes when we lose focus. To lose focus means to lose energy. The absolutely wrong thing to attempt when we've lost focus is to rush about struggling to pack it all back together again. Rushing is not the thing to do. As we see in the tale, sitting and rocking is the thing to do. Patience, peace, and rocking new ideas. So I really resonated with this part because I definitely fall into that like, I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll, and things are going well, and then I have just an off day, and I sort of, in that way, I scatter about, or I kind of try and force it, or I go through the motions as if it is going well, but instead of honoring that I'm running out of energy and I'm losing focus, I get more and more scattered. So to me, this is just an example of like, that's a day when I would go and be in nature or go on a long hike or sleep in. Just taking even just a day for me or a weekend to take a break from creative projects, knowing all well that it's in the back of my mind and that I'm nurturing it all along. I really appreciate this advice from her because it's good to know that that process really is helpful. It's helpful to rock those ideas and to take perspective and to take time away from your creative projects too. And it doesn't always mean that you have a poisoned creative life. The last thing I'll mention is the three hairs that she plucks from the head uh, and throws on the ground. Those are to represent sort of the pruning of the idea. So if you have a creative project that is starting to feel really heavy and is taking a lot of energy, there might be little tiny parts of it that you can let go of. And I think that's what is symbolized by those, those hairs that she plucks. So I think that's a really important aspect too, is just taking a step back so that you can look at the big picture of the creative project and think about ways that you can kind of let go of a few parts and not maybe not forever, but just for now, just to lighten the load and to make sure that that project comes to fruition. And the final quote, the chapter kind of sums it up. If you've lost focus, just sit down and be still. Take the idea and rock it to and fro. Keep some of it and throw some away and it will renew itself. You need do no more. So how nice is that to hear that all you need to do when you're feeling like scattered and you've lost focus is just to trust that that idea still lives with inside of you and that your animus will come in and create the structure that you need to bring it forth. But for just a moment, you can sit with the idea and just rock it to and fro. And finally, I will share the journal prompts that I came up with. So the first one is if you feel stuck creatively or if you have in the past, what do you think has poisoned your river? So going back to all of those different ideas that I mentioned, which of those do you think poisoned your river? And I, again, I recommend reading that part because she goes into great detail of all the different ways that it can be poisoned. 
Um, I think for me, the one that stood out is definitely the self-critical voice. Like, I feel like I, I don't get a lot of critique um, from the external world necessarily, but when I create creative projects, I'm just always comparing myself to others and I'm always, I can always feel that inner critic um, taking it apart and saying it's not good enough. Another really big one for me, and when she was talking about this, it like, it super resonated and I felt almost like called out by her, which is all of the excuses and all of the little comforts or things that I think I need or ex- just the excuses that I make and the lack of prioritizing. And again, that comes back to my animus and kind of demoting my animus aspect, uh, the part of me that creates that structure. And and even when it tries to create the structure, like you're going to go to bed at 10 and the feminine part of me is just like rebellious and won't listen. So I have these other aspects that are sort of self-sabotaging is the words I want to use. So I self-sabotage by creating excuses, by not prioritizing, and by allowing a lot of other things that aren't really important become more important. My second prompt is, how can you tell the difference between going through a natural low in creative energy and the poisoning of the river? So just like she talked about in this story, there is this kind of discernment that you have to have. And I honestly don't have a good answer for this question. This is something that I struggle with where when I notice the kind of natural low energy around my creative projects, I have all this fear kind of bubble up around like, oh no, am I back in that place where I wasn't creative at all or like where I had no creative energy. So there's a lot of this fear that I'm going to end up back in this space of sort of the polluted river, so to speak. Um, but even knowing that even from that I have recovered is good to know. So it's always good to read this story and remind myself that sometimes I just need a break. And when I'm losing focus and feeling scattered with a project, it doesn't mean that I've lost hold of that project. It just means I need to step back. The third prompt I came up with is, uh, what are some things you can throw out or let go of, like the three golden hairs, to bring back your creative flow? And that kind of goes with each project specifically, but I definitely am one of those people that takes on way too much or adds too many aspects to a creative project. Like I I feel like, oh, I'm going to launch a new product for my store And then it makes me think of like five other products that I want to launch. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll buy all the ingredients for all those projects and then I'll do them all at once. And what's been, (laughs) what's been something I need to learn time and time again that I still really haven't learned is that it really helps me to just kind of put all of those things aside and focus on one thing at a time. (laughs) But it's really hard for me. So I'm not saying I've learned this, but this is a good reminder that even when I let go of some of those ideas, that doesn't mean I'm letting go of them forever. And it's really helpful to remind myself that when I'm feeling scattered or unfocused, that it's probably because I have way too many ideas that I'm trying to accomplish at once. And I just need to kind of take one bite at a time. I hope my summary made sense and I hope it was helpful for you. I have so many more thoughts kind of bubbling in my mind right now, but I would love to hear if any of you have any thoughts around these concepts of the creative life, the animus, kind of the inner feminine masculine and the dynamic between those two and how these stories have shown up in your life. Feel free to write down your responses in the comments or even just message me. I just love hearing from you. So Thank you all for watching and I'll be back soon for chapter 11.
thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.